And now I want to invite all of the children who are worshiping with us to come a little bit closer to your screens and let's share a moment together. I have a really, really dear friend who lives in California. That's a long way away. And it's not very often that I get to travel to California or that she gets to travel to Tennessee. So we have to talk to each other in other ways. Sometimes I like to call her on the phone. So maybe I'll just call my friend Suzanne on my phone right now. Oh, wait a minute. It's two hours earlier in California. She may not be out of bed yet. I better wait till a better time. Oh, and now that I look at my phone, I don't have a very good signal while I'm sitting here. Do you ever see grown-ups doing that? Walking around with their phone, waiting to get, find a good signal. Wait, can you hear me? Oh, it's not working. Ah, I can't reach you. I gotta stand in this weird position and hold my arm out like this to get my phone to work. Sometimes our phones just don't work, and we don't get to talk to the people we want to call. But you know what? That's not the way it is with God. Thank goodness. God has given us the gift of prayer. And no matter what time it is, no matter where we are, no matter what else is going on, we can always reach God. We can always pray and know that God is right there with us, listening and loving us. Today, the rest of my sermon is about prayer and about how Jesus prayed all the time. And so, if Jesus did it, we ought to do it too. And we should know that all we have to do is just take in a deep breath and say, here I am, God, I love you. And that's a prayer. Let's pray together. Loving God, you're always with us. You are in our hearts, and you're all around us all the time. We don't have to work really hard to go and find you. We don't have to have a phone that works to talk to you. We can talk to you anytime because you're always with us. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for hearing everything we need to share with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'm going to put my phone away so I don't get distracted. Back in the early days of my ministry, one of the big trends going on in churches was church growth. And you could go and hire a church growth expert to come into your congregation and analyze how you were marketing yourselves in the community, what are things you could do to reach more people in your community with the goal of bringing more people into the church, filling up the sanctuary, having more people reached by the story and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But nowadays, when we talk about church growth, at least in the Methodist church, it's less about numbers of people walking into the sanctuary and more about things that are a little bit harder to measure, like growth in faith, growth in discipleship, growth in mercy and compassion and love. 
I wonder, if Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John had been church growth experts, how they would have felt about Jesus' ministry in Capernaum. I think they would have been over the moon. Jesus is going like gangbusters in Capernaum. In this little section of the first chapter of Mark's gospel, we get just an overview of a 24-hour period. And over those 24 hours, the number of people coming to Jesus and following Jesus has grown exponentially. That 24-hour period started last week, if you were with us in worship last week, when Jesus arrived in Capernaum and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day to preach and teach. And all the people who were gathered there were astounded at his teaching. They were talking about how he taught them as one with authority and not as their scribes normally taught them. He taught them not only with the content of the words he was saying, but with his very being. It was as if he was the word and not just preaching the word. And then, of course, as we heard last week, lo and behold, in the middle of his teaching, a man stands up in the sanctuary, caught by an unclean spirit, and starts shouting at Jesus, and Jesus casts out a demon right in front of everybody. And so he quickly gains a reputation as one who can cast out demons. Then he and Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John leave the synagogue and go to the house of Simon and Andrew, where Simon's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. A fever would have been a big deal back in the first century, could even prove fatal. And so we see Jesus in the privacy of Simon's home, reaching out his hand and healing Simon's mother-in-law. I just love this. She jumps right up and starts fixing food, just like my grandmother would have. She starts serving them. And then at sundown, once the Sabbath day is over, the people in the town and the village now feel like they can go to Jesus and bring the sick and bring the demon-possessed and, and crowd around the house for healing. And so Jesus works into the night with so many people crowding in and outside the house of Simon Peter that he heals not everybody. He doesn't get to everybody. There's so many who need it. But eventually, they all need some rest. And so they turn in for the night. And I can see Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, if they were indeed church growth experts, just rubbing their hands together and saying, wow, this thing is great. We have hitched our wagon to the right guy. Look how successful he is. Look at this ministry and how it's grown exponentially. Can't wait till tomorrow. We're going to get up and hit it again in Capernaum, and we'll probably triple our numbers if we keep doing what we're doing. But lo and behold, they wake up in the morning, and Jesus is gone. Nowhere to be found. And so they go out looking for him. And they look, and they look, and they look. And finally, they find him in a deserted place all by himself, praying. Now, before we move on with the story, I want to stop and, and pause for just a minute and recognize that this is a regular pattern in Jesus' life. Throughout his ministry, 
We see it in all of the Gospels. He has this rhythm of being out in the world, healing, teaching, serving, helping, and withdrawing to a deserted place to pray by himself. This rhythm of, of action and contemplation, of doing and being, of being fully present to whatever needs are brought before him, fully invested in each life that comes before him, and then drawing away to be fully present to himself and to the one he calls Abba. To spend time with his Abba, abiding in that love, listening, resting, getting clarity. And so one question that arises from this story is if, if Jesus needed that kind of rhythm in his own life, how much more do you and I need it? How much more do we need from time to time to withdraw from the doing? How much more do we need to pull back and simply abide in God's love and listen for the voice of the Spirit whispering into our hearts? John Wesley knew that we needed it. As he was forming those early Methodist communities, he taught them about the importance of the works of piety and the works of mercy in his 18th century way of saying things. The works of piety was that inward work that we do of prayer and pondering the scriptures and worship and receiving the sacraments. And then works of mercy, being out in the world with works of compassion, sharing what we have, feeding the hungry, tending to the sick and the lonely and the needy, working for a more just and compassionate world. I was talking earlier this week with our dear Sally Honor, who wrote our communion music we'll be singing in a few moments. And in her words, she said, you know, we come to church to be fed and to feed. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy for me to set aside the being fed part. To, to tell myself that the, that the being nourished part, that the not doing time is unproductive and a waste of time. That, that I find my worth as a disciple of Jesus Christ in what I do, in how many people I help, in what I achieve, and how many boxes I can check off in a given day, how many needs I can meet. When truly our worth comes from God and God alone, and the best way we can remember our worth and our belovedness is to stop, to withdraw, to spend time alone with ourselves and with God and abide in that love. So Jesus models that for us in this story and throughout the Gospels. But there's something else that happens in this story that I want to highlight Something that happens when Jesus goes out and spend spends time in prayer. His disciples come looking for him. They find him and they say to him, everyone is looking for you. 
Jesus, we've got to go back to Capernaum. There are all these people that you haven't healed yet. There are all of these needs that haven't been met. There's a crowd that's growing. We've got momentum, so much good yet to do. And Jesus comes out of this time of prayer and he looks at his disciples and he says, no. Jesus says, no. He says to them, I need to go to other towns and villages and proclaim the message because that's what I came out to do. I'm sure it was tempting for Jesus to stay in Capernaum with what was working and and where the needs were already so clear. But when he pulled away and spent time in prayer, listening to himself and listening to his Abba, he discerned and got clarity that no, he was called to move on, to keep proclaiming the message to other people. Perhaps he knew and he trusted that, that there were those in Capernaum who would keep the movement going. There was Simon's mother-in-law. There was the man healed in the synagogue. There were all those people who had been healed while he was there. Perhaps they will form a community of disciples and continue the work that Jesus started. But his job was to move on. That's also something that can happen in us when we take time to pray. We can get clarity on who we are and what our particular calling is. There are so many needs, so many ways that we could be spending our time, and all of them are important, and all of those ways of spending our time are good, but not all of them are our calling. As individuals, we need to spend time in prayer to discern what is my particular role in this moment. What is mine to do? We do that work as a congregation. There's so many needs here in Nashville, so many different ways that we can be in ministry, but we cannot be all things to all people. And so even now, our outreach team especially is doing this work of discernment to figure out What are our unique gifts as West End United Methodist Church? How can we make the deepest impact in our community for the sake of God's kingdom? And that means sometimes saying no to one thing in order to say yes and fully embrace what God is calling us to do. It is hard and difficult work, and it takes time, and it takes prayer. And now is a moment when I want to take a little pandemic parentheses (laughs) because I recognize the realities of life as it is right now. And even if I'm honest, life as it is in normal times, our lives are busy and full. Many of us feel like we hardly have time to take a shower, or to eat a healthy breakfast. I know that listening to me right now, there are parents sitting out there who are trying to work full-time jobs with kids on their screens for school every day, trying to make sure that everybody stays healthy and all of the things that go into making up the ordinary lives that we live, which right now in this particular moment are not ordinary at all. 
And so I want you to hear me, that as I talk about prayer and this pattern that we're called into as the disciples of Jesus Christ, what I don't want to do is heap on more guilt or to tell you, oh, here's just one more thing that you're supposed to do if you're going to get it right. Our God is a God of grace who is always with us, always upholding us. And even if it is just taking a few seconds to breathe in deeply and say to God, here I am, that's prayer. That's communion. And God will meet us right where we are. So no guilt and no ought-tos and no judgment just a gracious invitation coming out from this text to us. And a reminder, at the end of the story, Jesus says, I have to go out to the other towns and villages to proclaim the message. The message that Jesus was proclaiming, we learned in the first verses of the chapter, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is in you. There are no Herculean efforts you have to go to to be present in the fullness of God's kingdom. It is within you. Thanks be to God.